Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This episode is part of the Global Heart Failure Academy and is brought to you by Medtelligence. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements, as well as the learning objectives. Hello, everybody. Today we are addressing here cardiovascular mortality, hospitalization events, and other interesting uh, discussion points of clinical trials of intravenous iron in patients with heart failure with iron deficiency. Uh, are we actually still getting the medi bene medical benefit we are looking for, or are we sh falling short of uh, the benefit we are seeking in these studies? This is CME on ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Stefan Anker. And with me are Professor Ponikowski and Professor Cleland. Glad to have you here. Glad to be here. Glad to be here, Stefan, with you. Now, in terms of the design of the many clinical trials we are doing, and here now, of course, with the focus on intravenous iron, the key endpoints uh, that we are assessing for these patients, hard endpoints, uh, many times called, are we really, when assessing them, asking the right question? Piotr, what do you think? Well, I think that we are indeed, but as uh, we all know, long time ago, once we started, we were focusing mainly on exercise capacity. We are focusing on quality of life, which are a very important part of their normal life of patients with heart failure. We wanted them to live better. But after providing enough evidence that indeed we are able to improve quality of life, exercise tolerance, functional capacity with IV iron in patients with heart failure and iron deficiency, we obviously moved our bar higher and ask the next question, as you already asked, are we also able to change their outcomes? Are we able by repleting IV iron, by repleting iron deficiency, giving them iron, IV iron to change mortality and morbidity? So now we are in a little bit more uh, mature phase, better developed. So I think that we are now asking good questions, yes. So, so John, what would you comment on this? Uh, are we doing it the right way? Have we problems? How do you see all of this? No, I think it's a natural progression. Uh, as uh, Piotr has said, uh, the first batch of trials was looking to see whether the patients felt better in the short term with intravenous iron. Now what we wanted to show was whether uh, this was both safe uh, and effective in terms of improving longer term outcomes. And those longer term outcomes, yes, we're still interested in how the patient feels. Uh, but also, did that have an impact on hospitalization? Did that have an impact uh, on mortality? Yeah, and then of course, with this, we then can also establish whether the treatment in the long term is cost-effective also for, for society. I guess this is also the important part here. Now, but John, there are sometimes in trials external events. How do they, in your experience, and maybe also with a particular focus on the intravenous iron trials, how have they actually influenced some of the things you've done? Well, I think they've had a major impact on, on all of the larger landmark cl clinical outcome trials of intravenous iron. It's true of Affirm HF, it was true of Ironman, and it uh, is also true for HeartFID. Uh, the COVID pandemic uh, affected all three of these trials and also the Ukraine uh, conflict uh, that affected uh, HeartFID. Um, the big problem with these studies was that when COVID came along, 
actually bringing patients back for research visits to get uh, further intravenous iron became very difficult. Uh, and that meant that the patients probably didn't receive uh, the full intended dose of uh, intravenous iron in uh, many of these studies. So I think that they have certainly, the impact of these have diluted the benefit. We've tried to compensate for that in some way uh, by the COVID sensitivity analysis. The COVID sensitivity analysis suggests much stronger results uh, than the, uh, the, the full analysis. And in Piot, didn't you also experience that patients were actually kept out of hospital, not only for the visits, but for the actual hospitalization? You might say they were managed at home in some ways? Well, indeed, uh, not only in my country, across Europe and also in the United States, we have clear evidence that uh, what you're saying is right. Many people didn't want even to consider going to the hospital. They were kept out of the hospital. And also in our everyday life, as John already said, uh, we had a lot of problems to convince people even to come for regular ambulatory visit. By the way, we also try to avoid this for many different reasons. So from the clinical trial perspective, it was sort of a, a kind of a turn or disaster, make it this way, not to follow them accurately, not to convince them to come, etc., etc. But as John is saying, we, we try to overcome this in the sensitivity analysis, which made even the results uh, stronger showing us that uh, the iron in this iron trials but also in other trials worked very very well so that would be my comment so maybe you can then also now having described the overall problem say what are the results overall what are the results of the COVID sensitivity analysis in a firm and maybe then you in ironman yes uh, as john said overall we just narrowly missed the clinical well, statistical significant for the combined endpoints of a heart failure hospitalization or heart failure hospitalization and cardiovascular death. However, reanalyzing everything using, well, with this COVID sensitivity, the statistical significance appears. So I think that just to reassure, it works well. And also, if you ask me what about the component of this primary endpoint, the discussion we have today, so what about hospitalization? both cardiovascular and heart failure hospitalization, not only first, but all hospitalization, recurrent hospitalization, the risk is significantly reduced in patients being treated in our study with ferrical boximaltose with apparent no effects on cardiovascular mortality. This is the brief summary of, uh, of the trial. How was it in Ironman? Uh, so slightly different. The first thing I'd like to say is we looked at all unplanned hospitalizations for cardiovascular and non-cardiovascular reasons, they were both reduced uh, with intravenous iron. And if you actually look at all-cause hospitalization, not heart failure or cardiovascular, that's reduced significantly and you don't even need a COVID sensitivity analysis to show that uh, impact. So, uh, so that's very interesting that it's uh, having that impact on the non-cardiovascular. Most of those were things like chest infections, etc. The way I interpret that is that the intravenous iron is making, making the patient less frail. Uh, and if the patient is more resilient, then when they get a chest infection, and instead of the heart failure decompensating and coming into hospital, they could just be treated at home with antibiotics and recover. So I think that's what we were seeing there. The headline result on the primary analysis was like a firm HF. It narrowly missed uh, the primary endpoint. 
when we did a pre-specified COVID sensitivity analysis, it was statistically significant. The reviewers for The Lancet, and I understand one or more of them might be standing uh, next to me, asked us to do further analysis at the COVID lockdown and, and so on, then it became stronger and stronger to the extent that we saw really quite, not yet statistically significant, but a strong signal for a reduction in cardiovascular mortality. Particularly when you shortened the follow-up time. Shortened observed. the follow-up when the patients were actually getting the iron. And yeah, the, that's the, 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 latter, the latter part of the study was problematic because the patients could no longer come up and get further intravenous iron. So you're quite right that you know one of the reasons for the loss of that cardiovascular mortality signal and this is hypothesis, uh, you know, we're not suggesting it's proven, but it certainly didn't go the wrong way and an interesting signal. And I think, you know, we need to put that together with the rest of the, the data. Uh, I think we need to look at a slightly different cut of the data because I'm not sure that we got the definition of iron deficiency right, as you know, and maybe that's a topic for discussion today. I don't know. Hello, for those just turning in, you're listening to CME on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Stefan Anker, and he here with me today are Drs. Piotr Ponikowski and John Cleland, and we are discussing the changing landscape of clinical trials with intravenous iron in heart failure. Let's focus on one little part of the non-cardiovascular events you mentioned, the infection. And maybe for the audience, we should say that there is a historic fear that when you give iron that you may have more infections. But now, first time we saw in the pivotal trial of more iron versus less intravenous iron, that there was actually with more iron, less infection. And now you're saying in Ironman, similar. So, so this is reassuring in many ways. And even more than that, a highly significant reduction in COVID-related serious adverse events. So, well, I don't think we want to suggest at this moment treatment of COVID with intravenous iron. But if you're iron deficient, there is an indication to well, treat actually any patient well, with iron I, deficiency. I would say, uh, you know, older patients, what, what was the factor that drove their poor outcome? It may well be that iron deficiency was one of the factors why we have such a high morbidity and mortality in but the Just uh, to follow what John, John is saying, we are strongly considering... IV iron in frail elderly patients in order to make them uh, not only uh, protected uh, in the context of heart failure or cardiovascular, but non-cardiovascular uh, hospital admissions in this population and then being uh, resilient, as John is saying, is, is even more important. So this is a very, very interesting concept, yes. We've just done a population study of Glasgow uh, and anemia, which is mainly iron deficiency related anemia very strong marker of mortality in the general population have a two to threefold increase in risk once you're two grams below the WHO definition. So anemia is a marker of sort of really quite bad things going on. And this idea that it's not an important disease, I think we need to stir things up a little bit and get people to, to think that perhaps anemia, we need to look at what's the cause and we need to treat it. Yeah, and maybe coming back then to the subgroups uh, and Piotr you just recently completed the meta-analysis on all of this uh, when you take the subgroups well one obvious one is the definition of iron deficiency make it a little more narrow uh, or maybe slightly different than clearer, what we are well I make a suggestion transferrin saturation less than 20 percent that's it acceptable I, I think that would be a major step forward I think that we can maybe do even better than that uh, Piotr would go with soluble transferrin receptors. I would go very simply, and I think serum iron is uh, actually 
might be the best of them all. Unfortunately, in this meta-analysis, we do not have the data on serum iron. I agree with John, now it's time to sit and challenge the definition of iron deficiency, for there is no question about it. Your suggestion about low transfer in saturation is a, is a uh, very intriguing one, and I think at that moment we can say, perhaps if you have a high T-cert, say above 22, 24, uh, at least this is the result uh, we have. They may be no benefit at all, so why not to dilute the effect? I'm not saying harm, but I'm saying no benefit at all. So why not to, to sit and, uh, and try to, to uh, reconsider the definition, but also not only in the context of iron deficiency definition and uh, uh, just uh, entering the patients or starting the therapy, but also redosing. In other words, it's not only one IV iron shot, but also redosing during the follow-up. What would be the ideal biomarker portfolio? Maybe a, a simple one, to give iron after four, six months, uh, just to repeat the dose. Perhaps the, the very strict criteria we use uh, are not longer valid. We will need to get back to the data and see. Now, there's one last point about the clinical trial science that has an impact on possibly on the results, and that is the timing when you do the trials uh, in, in the in, in, in sense of which date you did it with. Now, you have the AFFIRM trial reported in 2021, Ironman uh, 2022, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, CONFIRM was 2015. Indeed. FHF1 was 2009. Mm -hmm. So can we take the results of old trials and still apply them today? What, what are the problems in this context? I think most of the trials have, uh, apart from SGLT2 inhibitors, have been studied with contemporary therapy. And I think SGLT2 inhibitor, there's potentially an interaction with iron. Personally, I think it might be synergistic and we might see uh, additive or synergistic benefits with intravenous iron. There are some people who think the opposite, so I think it's area of interest and for study. The vast majority of patients that we come across, even for fair HF, I don't think that those patients are that far removed from contemporary therapy in 2023. Yeah, I think the biggest difference in FHF1 was it was a six-month study and the patients really got treated throughout the whole six months. And so they, what we saw in terms of exercise capacity, symptoms and quality of life change was a reflection of the immediacy of the treatment. And you might say if you calculated per month of, of therapy, relatively high dose compared to the average doses. It was different design, different concept yeah. in the FM and the same in, in Ironman and Heartfeed. We wanted to make this trial very pragmatic, easy, but the fair HF1 was different design. But, but I agree with you entirely can't agree more with John that perhaps this, even in this SGLT2 inhibitor's time, there would be even kind of a very beneficial combination of this two. We will see, but uh, it's not that far. 10 years is not that far. So, so I understand you're right. The age when these, of, of the, the year when these trials were reported and done is not so much important, very similar. Well, guys, this has been a very enlightening discussion, very informative. Maybe one take-home point each of you wants to give the audience? Professor Kulian starts. <laughs> so, well, I very much agree with you on the TSAT issue. I think we've got a great opportunity here to make it clearer uh, who needs treatment. 
I actually also think that patients who have got get the most to gain in terms of symptoms and, and other things are the patients who have anemia. So anemia with a TSAT less than 20%, I think those are the patients who get the really big benefit from intravenous iron. I, I can only say that uh, good that for the last 15 years we we're still interested in discussing this. Not everything is sorted out. With this big meta-analysis with individual patients' data and sensitivity analysis for which uh, we included Iron Man, I think we need to be reassured that the real clinical benefit is there with uh, IV iron in patients with iron deficiency. We just need to identify those who would benefit mostly, and that's what John is saying. Well, and, and if I may also add one point, I mean, we focused here on clinical hard endpoints today. Let's not forget quality of life symptoms and exercise capacity are also beneficially affected by intravenous iron. It's even a class one recommendation in most recent European guidelines. Let's see what the next U.S. guidelines will say about this. Uh, so really, uh, so here's our prediction uh, for, the, for the audience. Uh, we can compare notes uh, in the near future. Really, thank you so much for having been with us, with me, uh, on this discussion here. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have today. So I want to thank our audience for listening. And I particularly would like to thank Drs. Piotr Ponikowski and John Cleland for joining me here on ReachMD and for sharing all their valuable insights. It was great to speak with you today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You have been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Medtelligence. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash heart failure. Thank you for listening.